0: Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalow, And on this show, I interview artists, healers, changemakers, and entrepreneurs about what fires them up and how they put their dreams into action. And my guest today, Tara Trespiccio, is an award-winning writer, speaker, and brand advisor. Her TED Talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion, has garnered more than 4 million views. I am a self-described fan of hers. I've been following her for years and probably have taken every course and program she's offered. So I'm super delighted to have Terry. Welcome Yay, to the thank show. You, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. I know. It's so exciting because I've worked with you for so long. And I get to share you with my audience. Ah, <laughs> I like being shared. I'm cool with that. <laughs> well, good. So tell me, what are all the ways that you work with people?
1: Well, as someone who works for herself, Uh, and has been. I've been working for myself uh, for the past you know seven, I think it's like six years now. Um, We make it up as we go. Right? We we evolve it. But I'll tell you where I am now and I'll tell you how I got there. Okay. Today what I do is help people with their brand messaging. I used to use the term brand strategist. I've tried every title in the book and what I realize is none of that stuff matters until you know exactly what you're doing. And just as a painter has her set of paints and her palette and she knows what she's using when she creates a thing. My my skill set are words. Not only do I help people put into words what they're trying to say and trying to communicate to their audiences, their live audiences, their online audiences, whoever, but I also help them discover what it is they do through language. Mm -hmm. My background is as a writer and an editor and a lot of times we think, oh, I need a good writer who can put what I do into words. And that's true. That is part of the job. But part of it I found, and the really fun discovery part, is to learn to even gain better understanding of what it is I do, you do, we do through language. And the way I do it most of the time is by one-on-one work Mm -hmm. that you and I have gotten a chance to work together. I've worked with lots of different people, lots of different kinds of people. While some people will specify an industry, like I work politicians or doctors or whatever, I don't have any one industry I work with, but I just do that one thing. They're trying to figure out and get it into words or identify, either get it into words or identify what is the key message. What is the most important thing I should lead with? Because they're often too close to it. And me, being an ignorant outsider with a gift for words, can actually help fish it out as if you're like, you know, fishing in a barrel. Like I can fish around and catch the things and actually help them discover it. It's incredibly rewarding work. And I have to tell you, I kind of made it up as I went. Well... I think that's what hooked me in to begin with. Hooked!
0: I sh- you I hooked, hooked me in You did because I overheard you working with other people on their, looking at their websites, and you would say, here on page three of your website, I found this one piece that distinguishes you from all the rest. <clears throat> and you had this amazing eye and ear for, for discovering or distilling down what somebody was about. And I thought, I want that person on my website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't need
1: that? Well, you just said it. How do we stand out? How can we figure out? Everyone wants to know how to make themselves stand out against other people who do similar things to what they do, or maybe the exact same thing. And they fear. The big fear is, oh, God, what if I'm not special in any way? What if I have nothing to bring to the table? And that's never true. There's always something, but most people cannot see it for themselves. They, it's there, they just don't see it. And so the fun part is helping them discover that thing. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun. That is, and it's and it's so helpful. I well, mean, it's, it's very helpful. There's they, not a they, person in the world who doesn't need it.
0: Right. So what is the relationship between that brand message and somebody's talk?
1: Well, yes, and that has, again, evolved. Like, now I am a speaker consultant. I do a lot of speaking on my own, and I also have found a lot of work and no shortage of clients who need help with their talks. And here's the best way I describe it. Here's my favorite metaphor for explaining the difference between branding stuff and speaking stuff. It's content is content is content. It all comes from the same stuff, your DNA of what you do. The difference is when I help someone come up with their brand language, what I call their branding blueprint, all the language and the stuff and the copy, all the stuff they're going to use, consider that curating their brand wardrobe. It's like finding all the things that look great on you, all the things that are like you, but for all different occasions. You need a blazer, you need jeans, you need boots, a bag, whatever. The talk is like picking one killer outfit from that wardrobe. So you can start either way. I've had people say, let's work on the brand, and then a talk idea comes from that. Or I'll work on just the talk and then go, wait a minute, this is what I do. I want my whole brand to reflect that. So it's very circular. There's no, you have to do this first and this first, not at all. Because I personally hate that idea of a linear, like, you have to do it this way. I would resist resist that. You mean like a template? Yeah, Mm -hmm. like I don't, I have templates and things that I use as tools, but... I don't tell someone, first you need a talk, then you need a brand. Like, you do need to have mm. a sense of who you are, but if you have just been booked to speak in a month, let's work on that first, and then I would be so surprised if that talk didn't influence what else you're trying to do. Mm. But you ask the difference between a talk and a brand, and the fact is, the talk is the live, in-person, on-tour show of what your brand is. And so they, they don't have to be exactly graphed onto the other, but they should be related in some way. Because you might have a book and a website and a private practice, some more consulting practice or something, and you'll have a talk. How do those things relate?
0: Mm -hmm. So do you, but you say you work with all kinds of people. So what you're describing now is more the author or the thought leader or the entrepreneur who
1: Yes, usually one of those people who is responsible for their own brand. Right. But i also done a lot of speaker consulting for people who are the heads of their companies or high up in their companies. They want to grow their visibility, and they want to be known outside of just their role. Mm. They don't want to be known as just the head of marketing for a blah, blah, blah company. They also want to be seen as something different. It's, it's natural. It's the ego. We want to be seen and known as different. And so those people want to be thought leaders. Maybe they want to publish a book. They're kind of flirting with doing both. And also there's something to be said for, we need to also be brand aware, no matter who pays our bills, no matter who's writing you a check, an employer, a client, uh, who an organization, It doesn't matter who's paying you or what your role is in an organization. We still all need to be aware of what makes us different. Because if you turn that off and you think it doesn't matter because you're part of a company, then when you ultimately maybe leave that company or are asked to leave, it can be a real crisis when you don't know who you are. Mm. So I think it's important to think about it, Mm -hmm. who you are outside of your job.
0: So inside the job, let's say somebody is... Is it that they, they feel they have certain experience from their work and they want to share it b- more broadly than within they the company? They want to be known. Yeah, uh-huh. In the
1: company, yes. Maybe they want to be more visible inside the company. Mm-hmm. If they're, I worked with a woman who was sort of the head of operations for this very successful and well-funded startup, and her business partner did all of the press and all of the public stuff. She was more outgoing that way, and this head of operations was quieter and more behind the scenes, but then she was invited to give a talk, and she said, maybe this is my turn to come out and Mm. to shine right yeah so we created a talk that felt like something that mattered to her that mattered in her industry and in the context of what she does but it looked to what she wanted to do more of not just her job because what you do for just your job it could be something that you love but maybe at some point you're going to want to try something new and for these for this particular startup they had created the startup to solve their whatever issue they created the company for, but they wanted to be maybe looking at other consulting clients and looking at growing. No one stands still in their business. They always want something next. And I haven't met a person employed or self-employed who doesn't want a little more attention for what they do.
0: For what they do and what, and
1: what, they, what they would know. and what they would like as a next step. That's and interesting. what they want to share to yeah. be known in mm-hmm. the company, but also known outside of the company. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're allowed to, and of course every company has their own rules, but. Writing, publishing, speaking, doing it um, in you know as a member of their company, but maybe even on their own. So a lot of, a lot of people are, are considering it, no matter yeah. what their employment status. Yeah, it seems like it's it's
0: bubbling up more in our yeah. society, doesn't it? That- well, because
1: we are brands now. You mm. can't if you have your own social media of any kind, you have some kind of brand. It may be an accident. It may be you didn't really choose it, and it's kind of all over the place. But you have something there, and so it it's it's in our best interest to manage it a little bit. So how does one go about giving a killer talk? Let's talk about the talk. Uh, let's get meta for a minute, because the talk is critical, and here's why. Since we live in the age of the internet, when you can watch anything, anytime, you could be selling online courses, you could be doing things that people can access around the clock, but it's even more rare than to be in front of a live audience and it's not only rare, at the same time, the demand for live events shows no sign of stopping. Because we can always stay home and watch something online, but getting out and being in a room full of other people is, uh, it, it speaks to the human animal in us. We want to be out and have a shared experience. And so not only are there more events than ever, which is weird, because you think, well, you don't need them, but you do, because otherwise it's very isolating to consume content alone. Uh, but also, there are, that means there's more and more room for speakers for panelists, for keynotes, for breakout sessions, of all kinds. Now, if you exist online, you want a real-life real life analog version of what you do. And I will say this, given our context here, that there are more and more people who want women speakers. And so many organizers, event organizers I've talked to have said, I'm particularly interested because I am tired of booking just men. And so there is more room and opportunity for women to step onto stages. I'm so glad to hear that. Isn't that great? Yes, I love that. Yes. I mean, I love it personally. I just enjoy it. But so let's talk about what makes a killer talk. And I will say that there's one thing, and it's having a powerful idea that leads. Not hey, I'm up here because I'm important because I'm an important person, which is, and that's not that's not how we lead, right? We don't go oh, I'm here because I have this big long resume, Meh what will make you a memorable speaker is not just that you have some kind of charismatic personality which by the way not all great speakers do it's not just about the quality of information it's the combination of a powerful univer- it's a powerful idea that's universal and uniquely yours so something that is given as out of the context of your life and expertise but something we can all relate to and challenges the way we see a thing mm. we know that from ted talks and tedx talks that We have, as a culture, begun to consume it by the millions, these talks. Why? Because they're short form. Anyone can watch it and learn something. It's a little bit of a motivational bite that you can take into your day. And I believe it's become the gold standard of public speaking because uh, why wouldn't you ever aim to have a brief, powerful talk? That's the goal. And it's not just who you are or how you are. But the DNA of what you're saying, and people miss this all the time, the delivery doesn't matter if you don't have the DNA of a great talk. And that means a powerful idea paired with vivid, real, and relatable story in a way that challenges something I thought when I walked in here. That's it. If you can do those things and connect with an audience in a way that's conversational and intimate, you will be hired again. Mm. That's all I've done. Mm. I don't even have some magical formula. It's not a trick. It's can you go in and talk to them and say something real that makes them think, whoa, I never thought that before. And most people go, I don't know, I don't have any ideas like that. You do, you've just stopped short of really exploring it. And so part of my job as a consultant for speakers is, they say, I think I wanna do my talk on this. I go, okay, keep going, keep push through the forest, push through till we get to a real clearing. Because people go, I have so many, so many leaves, so many trees, I have so much to say. Okay, just keep walking, we'll find it. Mm-hmm. It's finding that one thing. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part.
0: So do you, f- do you find that most people have too many ideas or they know that they, there's something there but they can't put their finger Both. on it? Uh-huh.
1: They either think, oh my gosh, I have 10 pounds of stuff to fit into a five-pound bag. How am I going to fit it all in, which you're not. And the other thing is, well... What if I don't have anything valuable to say? And neither of those things is true. Neither of them is true. A talk, no matter if you have five minutes, 20 minutes, or an hour and a half, is a curated piece of your expertise. So I say it's like you curate it like you would a a really nice itinerary through Italy, and you pick just a few stops and just a few places so you can really enjoy where you go. And at the same time, to extend the travel metaphor, I always tell people their talk should be like a carry-on bag you should only pack what you can get, what you can lift, mm. you know, because it, it, you don't need everything. But there's pressure on the speaker often to say, well, I know so much and I have to, I have to bring the entire audience up to speed to where I am now. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. You only give an eyedropper full so that they can continue the conversation either with you or on their own. Because a great talk is the beginning of a conversation. It doesn't end the minute you walk off stage. Hopefully you've ignited something in them that they want to now talk to you again or they're going to spread the message of your talk further from that, further than that room. Mm-hmm. That's a goal. Mm-hmm. And I, Go ahead. So what about like, motivational speakers? <clears throat> Are they also challenging people? I mean, I, Not all of them. Some of <laughs> them don't challenge us at all. They patronize. You know I have a thing about the term motivational speaker. Here's my thought on that. There is no such thing as a motivational speaker. There's only people who do their job as a speaker and people who don't. A motivational speaker is a term that I happen to be allergic to. I know some people love it, but it came into usage in like the 70s and 80s, a lot of this like personal self-help development. And it ended up being mocked and iterated and became very derivative of this kind of phony baloney um, uh, motivational. Like, oh, my job's just to make it feel good. A real talk should do more than just emotionally manipulate. And my thinking is if someone's a motivational speaker and someone else is just a speaker, then why i don't understand how then what are you a boring speaker like a speaker should always compel someone to act if that's what a motivational speaker is to you great but you don't get to just kind of go cliche 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 hope you feel good about yourself bye and also it doesn't mean you have to be an academic lecturer the academic lecturers who take their work very seriously don't want to be seen as mushy and motivational but unfortunately, a lot of them are very dry and, and not real engaging. And I believe a really powerful speaker can do both. And that's why we love the TED Talks, because they take really big ideas uh, by brilliant people and make them accessible.
0: Mm-hmm. So what would, what would somebody do in order to like, even begin to <clears throat> think about what would I talk about, what,
1: what well,
0: goes into Yeah, I
1: think it's the same as when you think about, well, how can I get someone to pay me? Because when, if you have something that people pay you to do, I look to that first. Someone's paying you for something, what is it? What are you really good at? And can you teach that thing? Because otherwise you think, well, what can I talk about? <clears throat> I'd say, well, what are you, why are you talking? I'd say, you know, what's the reason? Is it motivating, is it to sell a thing? And some great talks aren't about selling a thing at all. TED Talks, you're, it's verboten, you're not allowed to sell. Take, for instance, my TED Talk. It is, was not designed to sell a thing. I didn't even know what I was doing. I'd been working for myself just for a couple of years as a kind of you know, freelance and consultant, and I was still piecing it together. But I knew I wanted to do a TED Talk so bad, and I was intimidated because I said, I'm not a NASA researcher. I'm not a, a, a journalist at The New York Times. Like, who's going to listen to me? And I was sure that that would not happen. And then someone who followed me on social media reached out and said, we have an opening at our event. Would you like to apply for it? Someone had dropped out. By the way, story of my life, uh, all these great gigs I've gotten were because someone else didn't show up. So if someone cancels, I say, I'm your girl. I love to be the fill-in because every one of those situations where I filled in, I've turned into a real relationship and continued to work with them after. So I was a last minute. I had one month to come up with that TED Talk and I wasn't, even a, I wasn't a shoe-in. They were like, who are you? You're nobody. I don't know what we're gonna do with you. And so I had a few ideas in my back pocket, things that had bothered me about ideas I'd heard, uh, the ideas of you know fate and um, and passion, and things that had bothered me before. So when I got on the call with this guy who needed to get a TED Talker in, TED Talker in place quickly, he said, well, what ideas do you have? And they were not about my business. In fact, he was like, uh, he was a little bit worried because I was a consultant. He was like, mm, what are you gonna try to sell me kind of thing? I was like, no, no, I have this idea that I think Uh, I can't stand when people say that something was meant to be or that you have to find your one passion and life will work out. I said, I hate that advice. He was like, I hate that too. What do you think is, what does that mean then? And then within that month or a couple weeks, I had, I didn't know the answer. I said, well, let's figure it out. And so I learned the answer by writing my way into that talk. He said, why don't you start writing it and see. And I created it. Now I happen to be a fast writer. I've been writing my whole life and I had a lot of great support from him and he liked the idea and he helped shape it with me. Mm. But that idea wasn't like good because I have all these books to sell. I didn't have anything to sell Mm -hmm. connected to that. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you that talk has changed my life because people have seen it and I am not famous. No one knows who I am outside of a very small group of people. So that talk made it on its own because of the idea. People liked the idea. I was merely a messenger for a unique idea. And by the way, it's not totally unique. Other people hate this idea too, but I said I'm gonna tell it my way. And since then, people have seen it and I get invited to do talks. They're not all asking me to do that talk, but I do work that into, well, what does that talk have to do with what I do for work? Where's the overlap? Mm -hmm. And I I find places where it overlaps, but my my consulting doesn't match my TED talk, doesn't matter. People wanna think about booking you, they watch that talk, they're good, then you're fine. It's been my calling card for getting more and better speaking opportunities. Mm -hmm.
0: So they, they invite you to speak on your topic, which may be
1: branding. But then you show them, they see this other... They see, they go, what else has she done? And they see it, it comes up. It's one of the first things that comes up because of the traffic. And they say, we like that idea. But often for an event organizer, I believe they're looking at it, not wondering if I will do that topic for the branding thing. That doesn't really make too much. Actually, there is overlap, but that's not what they're doing. They're looking at that talk to say, do we like her. Do we like how she sounds? Do we like what her attitude, her tone? There's a lot you can learn about me from staring at me talking for 10 minutes and they a lot they can learn about you too. And so I think that they're looking for a look, feel and to see that someone else okayed you to get on the stage. Mm-hmm. And it is a lot of social proof. It's a lot of 4 social million proof. views. Yeah. And I don't even have a speaker's reel. I should have one. But that I just didn't need it because I feel like people see that they're fine. hmm Mm-hmm. I still think a TEDx is worth doing mm-hmm. if it's done well.
0: Now, somewhere, someplace else that people may have seen you is on the comedy stage.
1: Yes, even fewer people. I guarantee <laughs> you four million people have not seen me do comedy. But I have. I actually uh, wanted to do comedy for a long time and was uh, obviously intimidated. Who wouldn't be? And I took a class and learned to write a set and learned it's a different way of writing. It's a different way of thinking. It's short you have to get to the jokes quickly. I got to practice it and do it. And my very first stand-up set ever where I got on a stage with a microphone and got up there and did comedy was two days before my TEDx talk. No kidding. Same week. I was like, this is a stressful week. This is the <laughs> hardest week of my life. Like, I was thinking, my God, did you stand-up in TEDx? And I didn't know which one was I was more afraid of mm-hmm. because, like, my God, that both times you get up without a net, I had no notes, no slides for either of them and it was a pretty stressful week, but that week particularly uh, changed my life because I continued to do both. Mm-hmm. So I do do some comedy, not as much as I do all other things I do, but mm-hmm. like work, but I enjoy it and mm-hmm. it's taught me a lot about speaking. So
0: w- I know people would love to bring some humor into their talks. Yes. What do you Who think
1: about that? Who would love to get a Yeah, laugh. I would. Nothing's worse than bombing. Mm-hmm. The great thing about doing comedy is that it's so scary at first, and it can be so intimidating because you don't get to ride on your resume. You walk into that club, you're you're comic number 10 out of 15 comics. They're drinking and like, okay, you better be good. They're not there because they read about you and they want to learn from you. They're like, make me laugh. And that pressure, it's the great democratizer because they don't care. Whereas when I speak at events, conferences, someone introduces you and they talk to you, you're treated like gold at these events. Comedy club? You're lucky, you know, someone doesn't shove you out the door as soon as you're done. Or someone doesn't throw a beer can at your head. <laughs> that's never happened to me, thank God. But let me give you some tips about how to get laughs. I, Even though I would not call myself a big deal professional comic, I do not make a living doing it. But I've studied with people because I think that's the fastest way to learn. I took classes with professional comics, have done it enough and watched enough. And as a someone who watches people and can extract the learning, here's what I know. That... If you want to incorporate humor into a talk, don't write jokes. Don't try to write jokes. Unless you're a professional joke writer, which I'm not a professional joke writer either. I know how to find the funny. But the funny doesn't come from a joke. Uh, Telling a joke can be very risky because I'd say most of the assumptions of jokes that are old have something ugly at the base of them that probably won't work unless it's like a story other people have told. But if so, why are you telling the same joke, right? So what I say is, Find the human truthful part of what you're saying and allow yourself to be super honest about it and a little self-deprecating, a little humble. Not put yourself down badly, not like that. But the humor comes from when the audience feels connected to you. So when you say, yeah, well, like in my TEDx talk, I say, well, uh, I was sitting in my underwear eating leftovers watching Seinfeld. That gets a laugh because it's like ba-dum, ba ba Like, oh, we've all been there. If I said, I was feeling down so I watched TV, that's not funny. Mm. So specificity will always get a laugh. When you make a specific reference to a show or something you like, maybe a guilty pleasure, people will laugh because they go, oh, that's so adorable. They, they feel connected to you. That kind of, hey, I'm just another human, always gets a laugh because when you are on a stage, you are a high status and they already are wondering why you're better than them, because why aren't they up there? And so, when you make it known that you're like them, actually, you can get a good laugh. The other times people laugh are the moments when you relieve pressure. So, even the most serious talks, you're talking about something very serious. I don't care what it is, name your serious or not fun topic. As you are talking, da da da, da when you find a spot for something that strikes you as funny, maybe you're giving, you're practicing the talk yourself or you're writing it, and you're like, oh, that's a funny thought that came in. What just made you laugh for right now? Seize on that because, and you go, well, I shouldn't make a joke because this is very serious talk. You'll get a bigger laugh because we're so serious, 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 we need to, that laugh is a pressure valve release. Mm. So it's, it's pretty important to be able to relieve that pressure and you can do it without insulting your audience or insulting your topic. It absolutely can happen. And so you look for what are the moments when I thought something or when you, if you show yourself being vulnerable, like, Oh, I, I was kind of embarrassed because, you know, when you show it's when you're embarrassed or I thought this person was mad at me or I had the irrational fear that there was a, a monster under my bed. Like anything, anything that shows you as being vulnerable will create a sense of connection and laugh. But never, cre- never try to get a laugh by putting anyone at the expense of that joke. It is way too risky and you don't need it. If you're going to put someone at the butt of that joke, it should be you. Mm. Because the last thing you want is just to turn... It's, the, the audience is neutral, that's one thing, but if you turn someone off and make them mad in an audience setting, like, comedians do it all the time. That is the job, but if you're giving a talk somewhere, you're not trying to, like, alienate people there. So it's not that you have to be afraid of, like, oh, I don't want to offend anyone. I actually don't think that way, but you do want to make sure that you're not making someone else a butt of a joke. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So you know, specificity.
1: Specificity, pressure release. Where could we use a little laughter, a little, You know, one woman uh, was giving a talk on something that wasn't, uh, it wasn't super serious, it's about apparel. And then she just tells them something that blows her mind about their sizing. And she says, I need something funny. I go, yeah, now you just stop and look at the audience and just go, your minds are blown right now. Like, just have a human moment, you know, rather than going through my talk, going through my butt, just be like, wow. Like, uh, for instance, I was emceeing an event recently, and someone gave a very serious talk about finances and women, and it was terrifying, the idea that we don't, we, if we don't take certain measures, we may not have enough. And when I came back out, you, want, you didn't want to make a joke about that, but I said, okay, I came out and I said, is everyone okay? And I looked over and said, you're right, you look a little pale, someone can get her some water. Like, but I made sure it was a joke. It wasn't like, this woman's really passing out, but like, all right, right, are we all all right? Like, when you put yourself on the same page as the audience, and aren't afraid to make yourself look silly, you will get a laugh. Yeah. I do it all the time. One last tip about laugh yep. is <clears throat> uh, a great joke, uh, professional comic told me once, comedy doesn't require talent, a special God-given talent or being a natural. He said, anyone can learn to do it if they decide they want to do it. Joke writing is, go this way, make a left turn. Go this way, make a left turn. He said, you have to make enough left turns where you leave the audience kind of like, wait, what? Because half the times when I get jokes, I'm not saying a joke. I didn't write a joke to tell you over dinner. But I say something that you didn't expect, and I say it out loud. And, oh, that kind of surprise makes someone laugh. So if you think it, most people think those things, and they suppress them. I don't. I just say it. And I get more laughs than most people because I say the thing out loud. So it takes a little bit of bravery. Mm -hmm. Experiment with it first. Mm -hmm. But when you come at something honestly, people tend to love you for it.
0: Oh, I love that because it it makes me... Wonder what am I suppressing? Where are you suppressing the joke? Yeah, so I'm going to pay attention to that, and I hope that people listening will pay attention to that in themselves too.
1: Yeah, listen to those impulses. Usually, we have a humorous impulse, but we quiet it because we think we shouldn't. Yes,
0: yes. So, what? A, one last thought about, like, for speakers who are going to get out there, what what advice would you give them in term, Like, is there a mindset other than the idea of?
1: Yes, I, I really do think that mindset is important and your mindset will be shaped by what you're about to do when I walk out by the time I'm walking out to give a talk I already know what I'm going to say I've either rehearsed it or I have like slides that I know you know what's coming up I know what I'm going to say but I also know I'm there to do one thing not a million things you're not there to cover a bunch of content if if you if a fifth or even a quarter of your content up and vanished no one would miss it but you. Mm-hmm. So it's not about how oh, make sure it was exactly how I practiced it. It's how you know it'll be a success is you get a live response in the moment. People respond to you and you can feel it. I think speaking is like energy work. You can actually feel it. It's an exchange between you and the audience and you know when you've hit it. So don't go out there worrying about this and here, what are people gonna think of me and it's myself. The reason I feel very free on stage is I try to just disappear inside the message I just talk. I let myself be literally. This sounds very woo woo, but a channel for the thing I want to say, and I disappear a bit, and that's the way that I enjoy it best. Mm. If I were up there worrying about what people thought of my hair, my outfit, ugh, I don't have time for that. So be focused on the, the one thing. Don't start your talk with a lot of backstory. No one cares. No one knows you yet. Start in right at right at the word go with what they are there to learn or. Something you know about them, or what you you know a, a question, or a scene, or a story, or something that will grab their attention. So
0: not like an intro. Uh, let me Don't introduce do myself. do do an
1: introduction. <laughs> Chances are your name is in the program. Someone could look it up. You can establish your credibility. I'd say a minute or two after you've started talking. But I never start with it because no one cares. Get them in, hooked and interested right away, and then you can say, "Well, I know this because for 15 years I da 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 da." da. Now they're interested because they have context for what you're talking mm-hmm. about and then that's the difference. So don't waste time at the top, go right through and know that you're there to only do one thing. And if you know what that is, and know the, the real value of what you're about to do in the next 10, 20, or 50 minutes, then you're never gonna leave anyone unhappy and you will feel more engaged throughout the process of it. I really believe content leads. So many things to think about. Yeah, a lot. That's great, that's mm-hmm. great.
0: So how How can people find you? What can you offer? Do you have something? Yes, lots of stuff. I
1: mean, I do work with people all the time. I think the the best way is to go to this neat little page I created called Terry Sent Me. That's T-E-R-R-I sentme.com. And there you'll find uh, one of your favorite things, Linda. The 25 questions. I have uh, curated a list of 25 questions to help you identify your big idea for your talk or your brand or your about page, whatever it is, trust me. One of those questions, if not several, will resonate with you, and you'll be, and you will have what you need to start really creating something new and exciting. That's what I use when I work with with my private, you know, clients and all that. So that's the way you get that guide, and then you'll be on my little list, and I'll be telling you about um, stuff I have going on. One's an online course called Tap to Speak. Do- well, no, just go to Tap to Speak. You'll see it. I'll send it to you if you're on that list. It's an online course that teaches you how to create a TED-worthy talk. And I also do an event twice a year called Tap to Speak Live. And I'll tell you all about it later. But in the meantime, TerrySentMe.com will get you everything you need to know.
0: And I'm easily
1: Googleable and I'm very accessible.
0: Yes, and worthwhile to look up. Thank you, Linda. (laughs) And I think everyone should download that that, well, 25 the 25 questions. questions. They or are the idea. fabulous. They are fabulous. I just love them.
1: Great for writing prompts, too.
0: Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. And if you feel like when you go on stage, you'd like a little extra confidence, go ahead and download my guided visualization for Speaking Confidence at lindayugolo.com forward slash speaking confidence. I hope you love this show as much as I did, and be sure to catch us on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts, music courtesy of Sheik Gamine. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at wwwlindayugalocom forward slash TV.